Psalm 25. One of the things that I really like about modern digital technology today is that if I like a song, like that one I just heard, I like that song. But what I love about modern digital technology today is that if I like a song, I can buy that song. I can download that one song to the device of my choice and have it there for my enjoyment. Now, uh, you young people that are here tonight, you need to know that it hasn't always been that way. There was a time in my life when I owned a lot of cassette tapes with a lot of songs on them that I didn't particularly like. And you had to fast forward through songs you didn't like to get to the one that you did like. And sometimes it was painstaking. You'd pass it up and you'd have to back up further. And, and uh, I, I want you to, with that in mind, I want you to think this evening about the book of Psalms as a collection of songs. That's really what it is. Imagine if back when those songs were written, people could have purchased and downloaded single individual songs. If that would have been the case, as you think about the book of Psalms, that collection of Hebrew songs, if, if folks in, back in that time could have downloaded, purchased and downloaded their favorite song, what do you think one of the most downloaded songs might have been? Talk to me. Psalm 23. Of course it would be Psalm 23. I, I think that would be everyone's favorite. I think if people would have had to, they would have bought the whole album just to get that one song, the 23rd Psalm, because it's so great. Psalm 23 might be the chart-topping number one hit. But I think if you had an album of selected psalms and songs that were uh, marketed as being the collection of David's greatest hits, I believe Psalm 25 would have made the cut. Psalm 25 is a great psalm or song. It's not a ballad. It's not a chant. It's a prayer song. And it really contains some great lyrics all the way through it. But I want to focus on the words that we find in verse 4 and 5. Psalm 25, verse 4 and 5, where David wrote this, Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation, on thee do I wait all the day. I want to talk to you for just a little while tonight about the pursuit of God. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer. and Let's ask the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts tonight. Our Father and our God, we do thank you for this night. What a blessing it has been to be in your house, to sing the praises to our Lord and Savior, to, Lord, spend time on our knees before you in prayer and to make our petition and just to tell you that we love you, how our hearts have been stirred by the choir and the orchestra, the special music. It's just been good to have been in your house. And now, Lord, we come together to look to your word. And, Lord, we pray that the Spirit of God would speak to our hearts tonight. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes and help us to behold and understand truth, Lord, and not just for information, but Lord, tonight may we experience revelation. 
Because of what we read and study and talk about tonight, may we come to know our Lord better. May we love you more. And may we leave here today with a more determined will by the grace of God that we will serve you all the days of our life. Teach us something this evening about what should be the most passionate pursuit in our life, the pursuit of thee. We ask this in the strong and saving name of Jesus. Amen. One of the most influential Christian books of the last 100 years is a classic by A.W. Tozer entitled The Pursuit of God. Just out of curiosity, how many of you at some point in time in your life have read A.W. Tozer's The Pursuit of God? In the opening chapter of that book, Tozer writes these words. He says, to have found God and still to pursue Him is the soul's paradox of love. And a true believer knows that precious paradox. In Christ, we have found God in all of His fullness. He is the pearl of great price. And when we have Him, we have everything. And yet, even as we have found Him whom our souls love, our souls have not settled into idleness and laziness, apathy, and complacency. We still want Him, and we still pursue Him in a deeper and progressively developing relationship. If, if I can illustrate it this way, I had my first date with Miss Terry on April 1st, 1985, April Fool's Day. And she has probably felt like she is the biggest fool ever since then for hooking up with me. But that was our first date, April 1st, 1985. She was a senior in high school and I was a junior. She would be quick to tell you she's not a year older than me, just a couple of months. It's just how our birthdays fail. But on that day, April 1st, 1985, I began an all-out pursuit of her that resulted in us getting married four years later on July 21st, 1989. But on that first Friday night, when she became my wife, I did not stop pursuing her. For the last almost 32 years now, I have continued to pursue her, seeking to know her better, seeking to love her more, and seeking to deepen our relationship between one another. She has been my wife for 32 years. I have been hers and she has been mine, but I have continued, even though she is already my wife, I have continued to pursue her. Why? Because that's what real love does. It continues to pursue the one who has already been attained. A.W. Tozer quotes in his book one of the old saints named Bernard. I would call him Saint Bernard, but that sounds like a dog. But, but Bernard said it this way. He said, we taste thee, O thou living bread, and long to feast upon thee still. In this classic 25th Psalm, we find this kind of ongoing pursuit of God expressed by David, a man after God's own heart. In fact, Charles Spurgeon said of the 25th Psalm, he said, we see the very heart of the man after God's own heart in this Psalm. What Spurgeon meant by that, he, he meant it was in David's heart to continue pursuing God 
though he already had him. And really, the truth is God is the one first and foremost who pursues us. And once we have been apprehended of him and arrested by his love, then we, in reciprocation, we are to begin a lifelong pursuit of the one who sought us, saved us, and secured us. God pursues us in salvation. And then we are to spend the rest of our lives pursuing him in intimacy. So then we see in this 25th Psalm that David is praying to God. It's a song, but it's a prayer song. And by the way, it's a good prayer for us to take and make unto the Lord. And in this 25th Psalm, David is praying to God and he's asking, show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in the truth and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day long. This prayer was a part of David's passionate pursuit of God. And I submit that the things he asked for here should also be a part of our present and perpetual pursuit of God as well in our life. As I speak of the pursuit of God, perhaps there's another word that will help us to better understand and illustrate what I mean. We actually talked about it this morning. It's the word follow. Listen, listen to the Spirit of God tonight. Hear Jesus say to his disciples, follow me. And hear in that your own call to pursue the Lord. Now, with that in mind, what does this lifelong pursuit of God involve for you and I? Well, taking David's words in the psalm, we learn three things. We see, first of all, that this pursuit of God is a pursuit that is learning of Him. First and foremost, David longed in his life to come to know God more. Now, he didn't just want to know about God. He wanted to know God. He wanted to know Him better, more intimately, if you will. When I started pursuing Terry at age 16, I knew she was pretty. I knew she was 5'2". She had brown hair and green eyes. I, I knew she was a Christian. I knew she was a cheerleader. But I pursued her because I wanted to know her more. I wanted to know her on a more personal level, in a more intimate way, if I could say it that way. I, I wanted to know her heart. I wanted to know her dreams. I, I wanted to know her secrets. I wanted to know her passions, her fears, her thoughts. I, I wanted to get a glimpse into her sense of humor. I, I wanted to know the real her, not just the public persona that she let everybody get to know, but I wanted to know who she was genuinely inside and out. And so I pursued her to learn of her. I knew about other girls, but I wanted to know Terry more and better than all the others. And so I made it a point intentionally to pursue her. And in pursuing her, I got to know her far better. Now, you understand at this point when David 
penned the words of Psalm 25. David had a general knowledge of God at this point in time in his life. He, he knew him as creator and savior and sovereign Lord of all of the universe, but he wanted to know the heart of God. He, he wanted to know God's nature, who God really was. He wanted to know God on a personal level. He wanted to know God on an intimate level. Let me ask you a question this evening. Are you satisfied with all that you know of God? I mean, what you have learned of God up to this point in your life, are you satisfied with that knowledge? Or are you content just to know Him at the level at which you know Him now? Or is there a desire inside of your heart tonight that burns? Is there, is there a passion? Is there something that would cause you to cry out in prayer that you might know God better? Consider David's words here and, and consider our need to be consistently learning the way he does, the way God does. Give attention to the first words of verse 4. Notice what David said. He said, show me thy ways, O Lord. And I want you to mark that word ways at the first part of verse 4. Now, that particular word ways there is not a word that's about the direction of the Lord, uh, as in the way he goes, though that is something David will seek to know uh, as well about the Lord later. But this word, uh, as it's used here, the word way is different. It's not speaking about direction. It's speaking about someone's manner of life. It speaks of what we would call their M.O., their mode or their method of operation. It's a desire to know the way they do things, the, the how and the why of what they do. Let me show you a scriptural example of this. We won't take time to turn there. But in Exodus chapter 33, Moses was pleading with God on behalf of the rebellious children of Israel. And so he's interceding on their behalf, he's praying on their behalf, but when you get to Exodus chapter 33 and verse 13, Moses transitions and he asks God something for himself. And here's what he said. He said, now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee. Listen to that. Think about that. Show me now thy way. Same thing that David's asking in Psalm 25, to learn God's way. Show me now thy way. Why? That I may know thee. You know, in all of our searching of the scriptures and all of our study and in all of our listening to the word of God preached, first and foremost, our goal should always be not information, not, not details, not even principles, not a, a, a how to do, not a, a list of commands. But in all of our relationship with the word of God, first and foremost, it ought to be about coming to know God better, who he is, not information but revelation. God, teach me your ways. Moses, in Exodus 33, he wasn't just asking information from God. He was pursuing intimacy with God. He did not just want God to tell him what to do. He wanted to know what God himself does. You see, I remind you, the children of Israel had seen the works of God. But Moses was seeking the ways of God. And there's a difference. 
There are, too, there, there are too many people who are satisfied merely to have God around to do His work when they need it. However, there are too few people who want to know Him personally and intimately who are not satisfied merely to see His works, but they're interested in knowing His ways, who He is. They're, they're interested not in God making life functional for them, but they're interested in relational things with God. Okay, let me explain it this way. It's the difference between some people's approach to a haircut. Many people, if you're like me, many people just want a professional to cut their hair. Getting my hair cut is not a relational thing for me. I'm not interested in forming a relationship and a friendship. I just want to come into the barbership, pay my money. I want you to do your work, cut my hair. It serves a functional purpose in my life, and I want to be on my way. And that's how a lot of people are when it comes to getting a haircut. They just want a person to do that work, which will serve as a benefit and blessing to them. Give me a haircut and let me be on my way. That is not my wife's approach to a haircut. The same person has been cutting my wife's hair since she was 15 years old. Her name is Gina. She cut her hair all through her teen years, and she was there on her wedding day to take care of her hair. My wife still does everything she can to plan our trips back to Baton Rouge for family visits around Gina's schedule to make sure she can go see her and get her hair done there. You see, for her, it's something that is relational, not functional. Because when she goes, when I go get my hair cut, if I had my preference, we wouldn't talk. I would just relax. I know you say, Pastor, you ought to be witnessing. I know, I know, but I'm just not as good as Christian was I ought to be. I, I just want to relax, not talk. You just do your thing, do your work. That's what I'm here for to get done. But my wife, it's, it's relational. They talk and they share and they laugh and they catch up. My wife is not only interested in Gina doing her works, even though she does them professionally well. My wife's not just interested in Gina doing her works, uh, which benefits my wife in a very functional manner, but she wants to know Gina's ways. Because for her, it's relational. They care about each other. Now, David had seen, experienced, and benefited from the works of God. But he longed for deeper relations. So he said, show me Thy ways, O Lord. The multitudes see the works of God. But David said, I want to know the ways of God. It's the difference between a person who sees a painting and admires the work of art and a person who sees the painting and admires the artist and desires to meet them, and to get to know them, and to ask them of their ways. How and why did you choose this color palette? And why right here on this picture uh, did, did you use this type of brush stroke? And what was your inspiration 
behind this work. You see, they don't just appreciate the beauty of the art. They appreciate the person of the artist. They don't want to just see their works. They want to know and understand their ways. And likewise, pursuing God involves not only wanting to see His work. Absolutely, we want to see God's work. But there is a passion that lies within the breast of some believers that says, I want to see more than just God's works. I want to see Him. I want to get to the heart of who He is. I want to know His ways. So what is the pursuit of God? Well, it's a pursuit that is learning of Him, learning the way He does, first of all, and then secondly, learning the way He goes. Let's look back at verse 4 again. David prays, show me thy ways, O Lord, and then look at the next phrase, teach me thy paths. Now, as I said earlier, ways in that verse doesn't refer to direction. It refers more to a mode of operation. Here he says, teach me thy paths. This has to do with direction. Consider this carefully. David now, he's not asking for direction for himself. In other words, David doesn't pray and say, Lord, show me my way. He doesn't say, teach me my paths. David rather is asking God to teach him the paths that he takes, that God himself takes. It's as if David says, I don't want you to tell me where to go. I want you to tell me where you are going because I want to go wherever it is you're going, God. It's what we sing in the song, follow, follow, I will follow Jesus anywhere, everywhere. I will follow on, follow, follow, I will follow Jesus everywhere he leads me, I will follow on. You see, ladies and gentlemen, if we really want to follow Jesus, it doesn't matter where he leads, we will gladly go. And a genuine pursuit of God says, Lord, I don't care where I go, so long as I go with you. Teach me thy paths. You see, don't we have a real selfish tendency to always want to invite and vote God to come alongside what we're doing and where we're going and what we're heading and what we're trying to accomplish? And, and, and we ask for the proverbial blessing. David said, I no longer care or concern about where my dreams want to take me or where my desires want. God, I just want to know your path. Wherever you're going, that's where I want to go. I just want to be with you. Amen. The pursuit of God is a pursuit that is learning of Him, learning the way He does. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Learning the way He goes. Teach me thy paths. Let me tell you a second thing I see here in regards to the pursuit of God, and that is this. It is a pursuit that is led by Him. Now, I didn't know it because love is blind. But my pursuit of Miss Terry was being led by her. She was leading me on like an ox to the slaughter. And a genuine pursuit of God will be led by God. 
David prayed to know the way God was going, but even still, David knew that getting there was not something he could do on his own. It wasn't that David was saying, God, tell me where you're going and I'll meet you there. God, tell me where you're going and I'll engineer a path to get there too. No, David knew that getting there was something he could not do on his own. It would be a pursuit that was led by the Lord. Now, as believers, surely we must recognize that the very nature of following Jesus implies that he is leading us. Amen? To, to say you're a follower of Christ is not just a creative church way of calling yourself a believer or a Christian. To call yourself a follower of Jesus implies that he is leading you somewhere and you are following him in that direction. And so David prays for the Lord's leadership in verse, four, in verse 5. And he points us to uh, what this pursuit of being led by God looks like in our life. We see that it involves, first of all, steps that you want him to take with you. In verse 5, David says it this way, lead me in thy truth. And the word lead there, it means to tread or to walk. You could read the verse this way, walk me in thy truth. In other words, look right up here now, listen to me. David wants to walk this way, but he's like a young child who needs his father to hold his hand and lead the way he takes uh, uh, because he knows that his, his trembling, intensive steps, he, he may fall. He may not be able to make the journey on his own. And so again, the emphasis here seems to be this. I just want to be with you, Lord. I don't want to get ahead of you. I don't want to lag behind. I want you to lead me in thy truth. Walk me into thy truth. Don't just tell me how to get there. Don't just tell me where I need to go and what I need to do. Walk me in thy truth. Take my trembling hand and let me lean on you and walk me in the way that I ought to go. Walk me as I follow you. I want to be with you. And here again, we see the difference between information and intimacy. You see, some people are satisfied to simply come to church and be told what God says they need to do. And some folks are, you know, they're content to bring their pen and notebook and to listen real carefully. Now, now I'm listening, preacher. Tell me what God wants me to do. Let me write that down. Step one, step two, step three. Tell me. And some people are content just to receive instructions, just to get information from the Bible. And they stop short and they fail to press beyond that information to a place of intimacy with God who gives them the direction. And here's my question. Are you listening? Why would you just settle to have the instructions when you could have the instructor? When you could have him walk you in his truth. A pursuit that is led by him. It's steps that you want him to take with you. A couple of years ago, 
the Vietnam War Memorial Wall. There's a traveling one. I don't know if any of you have ever visited one of those, but the Vietnam War Memorial Wall visited our city. And it was there for a week, and it was open for many hours throughout the day. And, and uh, there were great crowds of people that went to visit. It's an awesome and incredible sight if you ever have an opportunity to do it. But you could go and visit that walls in, in one or two ways. You could just show up anytime, and there were brochures available. And you could walk through the exhibit with that brochure, and it would give you information and instructions to help you be able to enjoy that exhibit and understand it. Or you can schedule an appointment. And if you go by appointment, then you would be assigned a Vietnam veteran who would be your personal tour guide, and he would lead you through every step of the way as you went throughout that exhibit, and he would explain things to you, and he would tell you what it was like to be there, and he would share his personal stories, and you could ask him questions, and he could give you a, a firsthand perspective on that experience. Can I tell you, that's what I want in life with the Lord. I don't want to settle just for coming and listening to the preacher and writing down some information and some instructions. I want to press on beyond that, and I want to come to a point of intimacy where I don't just have the instructions, but I know the instructor. He is walking me in his truth. It's steps you want him to take with you, and then secondly, it's steps you want him to teach you. Let me say that again. Steps you want him to teach you. Um, consider a dance. Someone could tell you, they could explain to you, they could provide you some information how to do a waltz. Now we're Baptists, so we're not going to do it very good no matter what. But what you want is a dance instructor to teach you. Someone to take you and say, one and a one and a one. And I don't know what else they say. In verse 5, for the second time in two verses, David uses these words. Teach me. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. Like a dance instructor, take me by the hand and walk me through it. Show me. David knows much about God, but he humbly senses that there remains much more to learn about God and from God, and so he asks, teach me. When I had the opportunity a couple of years ago to visit the Holy Land, after having made that visit, the phrase that we commonly use of walking with the Lord that phrase, walking with the Lord, took on a whole new meaning to me as I got to visit what is called the, the Jesus Path. And I got to walk the banks of the Jordan River and got to see the, the, the path from uh, Jerusalem to Capernaum. And I realized, it dawned on me like it never had before, how many miles Jesus and his disciples walked together and how many hours a day they would walk. And as Jesus would walk with those followers of him, he would disciple them. 
He came alongside them, and they walked together. And as they walked, he talked with them, and he spent time with them, and he communed with them. And they would walk miles together and hours. And as they did, they would talk, and he would teach them. And listen, they would learn both from him and of him. And I thought to myself as I was there, what must it have been like? To walk with Jesus, to travel with him mile after mile and to set up camp with him and to sit around the fire and cook some fish and to eat and just just to be with him, to walk with him and talk to him. And I, but you know something? We can still do that today. We do that by spending time with him in his word and in prayer. And we walk with him and we learn to walk as He walks. As we walk with Him and as He takes us each step of the way, we learn how He loved His enemies. And as we see how He loves His enemies, we learn how we are to love our enemies. And as He prays to the Father, we see and learn from Him how we are to pray to the Father. Well, the pursuit of God, it's a pursuit that is learning of him, the way he does and the way he goes. It's a pursuit that is led by him. Steps you want him to take with you because you know you cannot walk along, and steps you want him to teach you, not just tell you, but take you by the hand and show you. And then, lastly, the third thing I see here is this the pursuit of God is a pursuit that is leaning on him. David continued to pursue God. Because he knew that he was completely dependent upon God. Do you realize that tonight? Do you, do you realize the very breath that you take? You are dependent upon God. Every step you take, you are dependent upon God. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 15 and verse 5. He said, without me, you can do nothing. Pursuing God is a life in which we learn to lean on Him because we know we cannot depend upon ourselves. So what does this learning of Him look like? Well, again, if we take David's words in verse 5, we see, first of all, it is a complete dependence. David wants to know God. He wants to walk with God. He wants to learn of God. Why? Because he says in the last part of verse 5, For thou art the God of my salvation. My friend, just as you and I were completely dependent upon Jesus to save us, so likewise are we completely dependent on Him to live the Christian life. It is a life of complete dependence. You know, you know what serves to give me an indication as to whether or not I'm depending upon God in certain areas of my life? It's my prayer life. Things that I don't pray about is kind of my way of saying, I got this, God. I know how to do this. I've been doing this. I, I don't need any help. Now, I wouldn't be so bold as to say that, but the absence of my prayer life in regards to certain things portrays me and reveals that 
I don't think I need to be dependent upon God for this. I can do this on my own. That's why the Bible says, pray without ceasing. Because when you live a life that's in pursuit of God, it is a life of complete dependence upon Him. It's a recognition of, yes, Lord, amen. I can do nothing without you. David couldn't imagine life not pursuing God because he saw his only hope being found in God. And to pursue anything else is to pursue something less. Do you remember when the crowds turned back from following after Jesus? And as he watched the crowds walk away, he turned unto his disciples and he said unto them, Will ye also go away? Now, Peter had a bad habit of speaking before he thought, and more times than not, he stuck his foot in his mouth. But he gave an excellent response when Jesus said, Will ye also go away? He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. What was he saying? We're following you, and we're completely dependent upon you. Thou art the God of my salvation. It's a complete dependence. And then lastly, it's a continual dependence. The last part of verse 5, Jesus said, On thee do I wait all the day. And when David said he was waiting on the Lord all the day, it doesn't mean that he was standing around still and doing nothing. The word wait there carries the idea of looking to someone. David was saying that all day long in his pursuit of God, his eyes are fastened on the Lord. He's looking toward the one upon whom he is leaning. He is waiting on him in the sense that he is serving him. He is at his beck and call. He lives the idea of, here am I, Lord, send me. Which leads me to ask you an important question. Are you daily pursuing God? Is your relationship with Jesus something that is just a part of your Sunday life? Or is it a part of your everyday life? life? Are you pursuing God? I'll close with this story. Look, close your Bibles and look right up here. A couple of months ago, Terry dropped one of her diamond earrings down the bathroom sink. And they're not only valuable to her as diamonds, but they're sentimental because they were passed down to her by my mother. And when she realized that she had dropped it and it went down the sink, she immediately went and got some tools and she got under the sink inside the cabinet and she began to disassemble the plumbing and the trap. And I know you say, Pastor, you should have done that for her. You're missing the point. Stay focused. <laughs> Actually, in my house, there's a rule. I'm not allowed to touch her toolbox. And so, so she had her wrenches and I don't know, what else are those things called you had? She, she had all of these tools under there. She was taking these pipes apart, and she had towels laid out. And 
these pipes were, were nasty and dirty and smelly. They were filled with hair and all kind of yucky stuff that was unidentifiable. I don't know what was living in there. But she was undeterred. Wasn't bothering her at all. And she began to sift through it all. And she was searching and seeking and sorting. And she pursued it until she found it. And she would not be deterred. She would not let anything stop her from pursuing it for this reason. She knew it was there somewhere. And she wasn't going to stop pursuing it until she found it. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If you're saved, you have the Lord. You have as much of him as you're ever going to have. Having received the Lord... Are you still pursuing him? Like I have pursued Terry for the past 36 years to know her better and to have a deeper relationship. Are you pursuing God in that way in your life? Passionately to know him.